Hey, would you agree with me this morning that, that, that sometimes we interpret a situation and the way we did it turns out to be significantly incorrect? So, so, so we thought we had the data. Yeah, we truly believed we had drawn the proper conclusions. We may have even acted on what we believed was true, but then later it was revealed we just had it wrong. We, we had it wrong. We were seeing, but we weren't seeing clearly. If you're old like me, you may remember the movie Karate Kid. Anybody here old enough to remember that one? Yeah, the, the basic plot is that a young man named Daniel moves to a new city. He, he's being bullied. And so he seeks out an elderly expert named Mr. Miyagi to teach him karate. So Mr. Miyagi agrees, but then Daniel shows up for his first lesson, and he's told to, to wax Mr. Miyagi's car. Remember that? Then, then sand the floor. Sand the floor and then paint the the fence. Just a series of menial tasks. And eventually Daniel objects in anger because none of that has anything to do with karate. At least that's the way Daniel interprets his situation. That's the conclusion that he drew. And he even acted on that belief with anger and with accusation. And, you know, I think if, if we had been present, we might have agreed with Daniel. Right? I mean, the old man is taking advantage of this poor teenager. He's going back on the bargain. That's when Mr. Miyagi reveals the purpose of the tasks and their connection to karate. Uh, listen into that. Show me penta fence. Up, done. Up, done. Up, done. Other side. Look, I always look, I. Show me paint the house, say, say. Knock wrist, side, 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 side. Yes. Show me wax on, wax off. Yes! 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 Show me paint the fence. Yes! 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 Show me side to side. Yes! 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 Show me sand the floor. Yes! 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 What just happened there? Daniel realized how incorrect his initial interpretation had been. And when you think about it, that's the plot line of many books and movies, where where the author takes you down a particular path, and all the while you're thinking, where is this going? How's this going to end? And you you start drawing preliminary conclusions. Well, I think the the murder was committed by by the butler in the parlor with a candlestick. And then you wait and you keep reading to see if your working theory was correct. In fact, we even have a word for a book or a movie like that, don't we? It was a real real cliffhanger. And how many times did you end up getting it right? And how many times did you end up getting it wrong? 
In fact, we even have a saying for that dynamic. I surely didn't, I surely didn't see that coming. I, I, I was seeing, but I, I wasn't seeing correctly. Well, that's fine in entertainment. In fact, you kind of like it that way, don't you? Who would want to read a book what you could figure out in the first chapter? But I would suggest this morning it's not fine in our relationship with the Lord. Because it's possible for us to look at what the Word of God says is going to happen and then look at our circumstances where that promise isn't being fulfilled and we draw this conclusion. That must mean that God doesn't know. Or that must mean that God doesn't care or that He's not powerful enough to keep His Word and because He's not done it yet, He's not going to do it ever. So we're seeing, but we're not seeing clearly. And friends, the moment that happens... We just opened ourselves up for, for false teaching. With that in mind, I want to invite you to open your Bible this morning to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, that's on page 184 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. So 2 Peter chapter 3 or page 184 of the, the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Our church's theme this year is hope for everyday life. And one of our keystone verses all year long, don't you love this verse, is Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope, that's who He is, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will what? You'll abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've been developing that theme in all sorts of ways all year long. And so this fall, we're working our way verse by verse through the book of 2 Peter where we're trying to, to grow in grace and knowledge. And that particular phrase comes right from the very end of the book when we read 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory. We sang about that this morning too, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Well, that's all good news. That's all well and good. I mean, that we get to grow in grace and knowledge. But here's the hard news. One element of growing in grace and knowledge is dealing with the issue of false teaching. And honestly, we may not like that. We may wish that the Christian life was all bubblegum and lollipops or maybe banana cream and brisket, but, but it's not. That We see warnings about false teaching from cover to cover in the Bible and what's especially troubling is it's not just the possibility of false teaching from without. It's the possibility of false teaching from within. This is the way Paul said it to the Ephesian elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know, Paul said, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's why Peter spent all of chapter 2, the verses that we've been studying now for the last several weeks, highlighting the characteristics of these false teachers. That's a lot of real estate in the Bible. An entire chapter just talking about all of the different characteristics of false teaching. That's why the book of Second Peter, along with the book of Jude, is sometimes referred to as the dark corners of the New Testament. So we recognize this hasn't been fun to listen to. And honestly, it's not been particularly 
fun to preach. But that does beg the question, is the primary reason we come to church to have fun? And should we avoid any place in the Word of God that doesn't meet that standard? Now, that's why Paul said this in the two verses prior to the ones I just read. He said, Therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why? And for I did not shrink from declaring to you the, the whole purpose of God, the, the, the fun passages, the, the, the positive places in Scripture, but also sometimes from the, the dark corners of the New Testament. This is why Paul told Timothy, I solemnly charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. And on behalf of all of our pastors, we just want to thank you for being the kind of church that wants to hear all of the Word of God. So, so we've never said in staff meeting, you know, if we teach that from the Bible, then people will stop coming. No, it's really the opposite around here, and we believe. I want to be sure that we've said this. We believe that we are quite blessed. It's more like if we, we stop teaching the Bible or if we start skipping the hard things in the Bible, then people would stop coming. So like my son the bear often says, just keep doing what you're doing. And that's the way we view it around here. Just keep teaching all of the Word of God. Now, here's what's going to happen in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's now going to reveal what this particular group of false teachers has actually been saying. And the words that I just said, that that was selected carefully on purpose because there are other false teachers mentioned in other places in the New Testament who were teaching other kinds of false doctrine. But but in chapter 3... Peter reveals what this particular group of false teachers had been saying, and they're a lot like like Daniel the Karate Kid. They're interpreting what they see in a particular way, and they're drawing faulty conclusions about the character and the plan of God, and then they're propagating those beliefs in ways that are very harmful to the church. And then Peter the Apostle comes along like Mr. Miyagi, and he says, what you took for this... It's really that. And that's going to allow his readers, and and more importantly for our purposes, that's going to allow people like you and me to celebrate the Lord's patience. That's where all of this is going this morning. 2 Peter um, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is now, beloved, the, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken. Now look at the two categories. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. And know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own loss and saying, where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. 
For when they maintain this, Peter says, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But don't let this one fact, Peter says, escape your notice. That, that with the Lord, beloved, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. There's some good news, huh? Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So we're talking this morning about celebrating God's patience. And with the time we have remaining, let's think about three ways to protect your heart from false teaching. Do you want to protect your heart from false teaching? Is that a yes, 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 and yes? Well, there's some very important truth right here in this passage that can help us do exactly that. And first of all, let God's Word keep you spiritually sharp. That's what the first two verses are all about. In other words, the more immersed we are in the Word of God, And by the way, you might want to think about this last week and how much of a priority it was for you to immerse your heart in the Word of God. But the idea here in these first two verses is the more immersed we are in the Word of God, the less likely we'll be to interpret our situation incorrectly. It's as simple as Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet, if I let it be. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a a light to my path. And Peter says we have to place value on being reminded. That's what we hear in verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That that has been a constant theme throughout this book, hasn't it? And, you know, we, we hope as you faithfully attend church, you're learning new things about your Bible. Yeah, I, I do have folks from time to time say, hey, I learned something new this morning. And that's great whenever that happens. But honestly, a lot of coming to the Lord's house on the Lord's day is just being reminded. And your presence Sunday after Sunday after Sunday shows that you place a high value even on that. Now let's push the pause button for just a minute because you might ask a question. What does it mean to have a, a sincere mind? And how does a person actually acquire that? Well, that goes all the way back to what Peter emphasized at the beginning of this book. Do you remember? Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the first step in all of this is admitting your need and placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In fact, just think about it. If you really believe what we were singing about this morning, that God is holy, Right, we sang a lot about that this morning, didn't we? Well, I hope we would say, and that gives me a problem. I hope you'd be honest enough to say that. And what is that? Well, I was born in sin, and my sin separates me from a holy God because crucial or critical to the idea of God's holiness is, A, He's without sin, and B, He's unable to have a relationship with anything that is sinful. So I hope none of us would say, well, I'm going to stand before this holy God in and of my own righteousness. My, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. If we're going to stand before a holy God, something has to be done about our sin. We have to admit our sin. We have to acknowledge it, repent of it, and then ask Jesus Christ to pay for our sin through the shed blood that that he gave on the cross. 
And then at that moment to be clothed with the righteousness of His Son. And what Peter has already taught us in his book is this. If you've done that, 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies, you're going to long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So if you stop people coming into the auditorium and ask, what are you doing here? You could be anywhere right now. I'll tell you, a number of people who are walking into the auditorium this morning would have said this. I'm here because I'm hungry. That's why. I'm hungry for, for the Word of God, even if my pastor primarily is going to remind me of things I already know. I want to be reminded Sunday after Sunday after Sunday because that keeps my heart spiritually sharp and it protects me from false teaching. Now, now please look at how Peter develops this, this letting God's Word keep you spiritually sharp in verse 2. You could say it like this, by marveling at the unified nature of Scripture. It's not hard to find both Testaments in verse 2. Can you do that? Where Peter said that you should remember the Word spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by you. That is an amazing statement. Think about it. We obviously have the foundation of the Old Testament. You should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. And it's very important for what's to be developed later in these verses to know this. The Lord's second coming. Jesus is coming again. That's not simply a New Testament doctrine. That is mapped out throughout the Old Testament as well. And here's just a couple of representative passages Isaiah 66, the last chapter in the book of Isaiah, verses 15 and 16, for behold, the Lord will come. Again, it's not just a a New Testament issue. The Lord will come in fire and His chariots like the whirlwind to render His anger with fury. And by the way, if you don't have a place in your theology for the wrath of God, then you're getting your view of God from somewhere other than the Bible, which is another reason you want to stand before Him not clothed in your own righteousness but clothed in the the work, the finished work of His Son, to render His anger with fury and His rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by His sword on all flesh, and those slain by the Lord will be many. Or Malachi 4, 1 to 3. For behold, the day is coming. You hear that? The day is coming burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaffed, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And the point I'm making is it's not difficult at all to build an Old Testament doctrine of the second coming of the Messiah. And what Peter is saying is this, if you listen to these false teachers who are saying Jesus isn't coming back, you're being like the karate kid. Yet you're interpreting what you're seeing incorrectly. You've forgotten the foundation of the Old Testament. But there's also the validation of the New Testament. The the, the second half of verse 2 is very, very important. Because Peter equates the commandments of Christ as spoken by the apostles to the Old Testament. He's saying that is equally authoritative. Don't, Don't miss that. The commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. That's an incredibly important affirmation of the unified nature of the Word of God. And to see it even more clearly, we're going to peek ahead 
at the verses that are scheduled for next week. Please don't tell whoever's going to preach here next Sunday that I did this. But, but I'll be somewhere. In fact, I'll be in Texas. So I'll be a long way away when that guy gets upset with me. But look at this. Second Peter 3. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul. Now think about this. Peter's talking about the apostle Paul. And listen to what he says. It's fascinating. According to the wisdom given him, wrote to you as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. That's fa- Peter says the, some things in, in, in what Paul has written are hard to understand. I think he's thinking about Romans 11, by the way. But, but, but who knows? But, but listen to this. Which the untaught and unstable distort as they also do what? The, the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You tell me. To what did Peter just equate the writings of the Apostle Paul? The answer is to the rest of the Scriptures. I mean, who, humanly speaking, penned a rather significant percentage of our New Testament? It's the Apostle Paul. And the point of all of this is let God's Word keep you spiritually sharp by placing value on being reminded and by marveling at the unified nature of Scripture. And we're very thankful for a church family full of people who Sunday after Sunday after Sunday do exactly that. Now, now secondly, be prepared to answer those who mock Christ's return. What what a a powerful phrase in verse 3. Mockers will come with their mocking. Now, Now, by the way, That's not always the case with all false teachers. Some deceive in ways other than mocking. But that's certainly what's happening here. And and what can we learn about the characteristics of the ridicule? Lock on now to verse 3. What can we learn about what these people were saying? Well, there's the timing. This was in the last days. And you might say, what does that mean? Well, we believe that the last days began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So some of you can remember Pastor Goode saying, we're some 2,000 years into the last days. That's exactly right. And the Apostle Paul used that that same phrase. Realize this, that, that in the last days, difficult times will come. So there's no doubt about this, that that the New Testament writers believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And I realize somebody here might say, well, if that's the case, Jesus seems to be a little late for his return. Be careful about that, lest you end up becoming like one of these mockers. Peter's going to explain in a few verses that the length of God's days is a whole lot different than the length of ours. And by the way, that's really good news, and we'll get to that in a a minute, although the length of a pastor's minute might be a bit different than the length of a church member's minute. And while we're in that neighborhood, do you realize everything, here's what that means theologically, every time a pastor goes along demonstrating that the length of his minute is different than the length of a church member's minute, who are we being like? I'm just asking you right here, right now. Don't be afraid of the Bible. Let the Bible help you. Who who is a pastor being like when he goes along? Say it. It'll be good for yours. It'll cleanse you of some of your bitterness over the years right now. (laughs) We're being like the Lord himself. That dawned on me as I was studying this text And frankly, it brought great relief to my soul. And I felt duty-bound to point that out to the church family. 
and I enjoyed it. What else about its, its motivation? Its motivation. Well, Peter says they're, they're following their own lusts, these false teachers. And you have to make a What lust might that be? Well, it could be all sorts of lusts. We spoke a few weeks ago about some Christians' desire to be thought of as novel or intelligent or insightful. It was like the Athenians that Luke talked about in Acts 17. The Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. There's a lust on the part of some teachers to be thought of as intelligent or or well-reasoned or avant-garde. That can easily be the route through which false teaching comes into the church. Or or there's another lust that, that could be Um, in focus here. It's the lust to put somebody else down, to make them feel foolish or or uneducated because of one of their beliefs. It would appear that that's at least part of what's going on here. John MacArthur talked about this as a a vicious form of intimidation. These mockers, that's the way they were living, a vicious form of intimidation that derides hope-filled Christians as, as silly or uninformed. See, there's this lust on the one hand, to be thought of as I'm more intelligent than you. I'm more well. Re- I, I have new teaching that you've never heard or considered before, or I'm going to put you down a lust to do that. It's also likely, based on what's been emphasized in this book already, that it includes sensual lust, sexual lust. In other words, that the Bible forbids a certain kind of behavior. And so they try to undermine the Bible's eschatological teaching about the future so they could ignore the Bible's ethical teaching about the present. See, they weren't following God's desires. They were following their own. And what was the content? That They were saying, where's the promise of His coming? In other words, Jesus is late. Jesus hasn't kept His promise. By the way, that's why we said earlier there's different kinds of false teaching in the Bible because you may be thinking about another place where there were a different group of false teachers. They were saying the exact opposite of this. They weren't mocking because Jesus hadn't yet returned. What were they saying? You remember in Thessalonians that the group of false teachers that Paul was writing to overcome there was saying the opposite, that Jesus had already come. Do you remember this in 2 Thessalonians 2? Now we request of you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect of what? That the day of the Lord has already come. You can see how confusing this could be. There's some teachers out there false teachers saying that Jesus has already come. There's other false teachers out there mocking because Jesus hasn't come yet. Well, the ones that Peter's talking about were the latter. They were the ones that were mocking because Jesus Christ had not yet come. And what was their supposed proof? What, what was their rationale? Well, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Now, now, philosophically, that's known as uniformitarianism, a big word perhaps, but it denies divine intervention throughout world history. In other words, whatever natural processes have operated in the past can be relied upon to operate in the future, and they can't and they won't be supernaturally interrupted. 
Now, what's tempting about that is that God has created natural processes in his world on which we can typically rely, right? Is there anybody here who is, who is um, concerned or surprised that the leaves are changing color? Anybody running around saying, ah, the, the, the leaves are falling, the, the leaves are, they're, they're falling. What would you say to a person like that? Well, that's because it's October, and we call this time of year the, the fall. That's the way it happens every year. But, but does that suggest, or, or worse, does that prove that God is unable to divinely intervene in a miraculous fashion that would be re- required to fulfill the promise of his second coming? And the false teachers would say yes. See, look, all things just continue as they always were. Peter would say no. He would say no. And now we can see why Peter has been so exercised throughout this book. Why? Because the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ is a vital truth for the church for all sorts of reasons. John MacArthur summarized it like this. Jesus Christ is coming back. And by the way, do you believe that? Do you really believe that, regardless of anybody that might mock it? Do you? But Jesus Christ is coming back. Throughout the centuries, the reality of that wonderful promise has formed the crux of Christian expectation. It's the church's blessed hope, regardless of what mockers might say about it, her utmost longing in the the great climax of salvation history, a time of redemption for believers and a time of judgment for God's enemies. It also marks the inauguration of Christ's earthly kingdom during which the saints will reign with him in holiness. Think about that. The hope of bodily resurrection, spiritual reward, and a righteous world system are all tied to Jesus' return. It's no wonder then that the early church found tremendous comfort. That's why they said to one another, Maranatha. It's no wonder then that the early church found tremendous comfort in the second coming. After all, the readers of this epistle had already endured much persecution from outside the church. Now they're experiencing internal turmoil from false teachers. Thus, they long for the return of their Savior. Do you? They long for the return of their Savior, the judge who would make all things right. Amen, amen, amen. And so Peter can't allow this attack on this all-important teaching from the Word of God to stand. There's just too much at stake. So so how did Peter point out the error? What was it that this false teaching saying that Jesus was not going to return, what did it ignore? Well, it ignored the power of creation. Look at the logic here. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that, don't forget this phrase because you're going to see it several times, by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. What's the point logically? The Word of God is so powerful that the Lord can speak this world into existence in six literal days. If that's what He chooses to do, then surely He's powerful enough to also keep His promise to refer to His people and judge the world He made. Now, by the way, the world translated, it escapes their notice. That could even be translated more strongly. That's why if you remember this verse from the King James, it rendered this, they're willfully ignorant of it. They're choosing not to believe that Jesus is coming back. They're choosing not to believe that God created his world the way that he said he would. 
That'd certainly be consistent with what we read in Romans 1 about people who purposely suppress the truth of creation in unrighteousness. By the way, that is one of the doors through which false teaching could enter this church. And moving away from the doctrine of a, a literal six-day creation, some of you old-timers, and by that I mean faithful members, you'll remember Pastor Good hosting seminars by organizations like Creation Research Institute. You realize that would have been 40, 50 years ago. And by the way, we didn't check in with Purdue University before those conferences were held. And before that teaching was affirmed in this church, early in this church's history, and I would just ask you this morning, are you glad for former pastors and for church leadership and for a church family who would not budge one inch on such matters? Because Peter is drawing a direct theological connection between our belief in a literal six-day creation and God's ability to also keep His promise to come again. Peter also talks about the horror of the flood. It's interesting how much Peter talks about the flood in this book, but now he adds, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. See, for anybody who would say, well, Jesus can't return again because everything is the same as it always was from creation, tell that to the mockers of Noah's day. After the rain started, Things didn't seem to be continuing just as it was from the beginning of creation on that particular day. I mean, how high up your chest would the water have to get before you would conclude, you know, God may be miraculously intervening in His world today. And maybe uniformitarianism as a philosophy of life is not serving us very well. Glug, 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 glug. Then there's the certainty of eternal judgment. But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And you see that repetitive phrase, by His Word, by His... And remember, everything that's been said about the Bible so far in this book, remember in chapter 1 that the great and precious promises, you remember that? Remember the affirmation that God's Word is all that we need for life and godliness? Remember the explanation at the end of chapter 1 about how we got the Word of God? Uh, by holy men being moved along by the, the whole... Remember everything that was said about how it was that we got the Word of God? By His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. These false teachers are playing with fire. In this case, quite literally, when they suggest that God can't and God won't keep His promise to one day judge this world. You know, one of the questions that I think each one of us ought to consider is, are we allowing any mockers to undermine our belief in what God's Word says? Do you have any mockers in your life? Those are the kind of podcasts you're listening to? That's the kind of music you're listening to. That, that, that's the kind of books you're reading. That's the kind of, are you, are you opening your heart up to mockers? People who don't believe what God's Word says about the past and the present and the future. And friend, listen, if you are, if you are, that's a choice you're making. 
you're making that. And I believe, based on the authority of this passage, that we'd be wise to distance ourselves from such influences as soon as possible. And by that, I mean right now. In fact, if you would say to me, hey, you know, some of my closest friends, they're, they, they love to mock the Word of God. I'm not sure you picked wise friends. There's a difference between an acquaintance and a friend. And if the people who are closest to you are are people who are mockers, over time that could erode your faith. I think I would also be less than a pastor if I didn't at least ask this. Is it possible that I'm speaking to one or more persons? And, And the truth of the matter is you positioned yourself as a mocker. You mock some aspect of Scripture yourself. And worse, let's just face it, you could be having that impact on other people in your life. You realize there could be a daddy or more who are sitting in these services today, and the truth of the matter is you mock the Word of God to your wife. You mock the Word of God to your kids. There could be a wife who either by her word or by her life is is mocking the Word of God, and that impacts your husband, and that impacts your kids. It impacts those around you. It is possible. Remember, you say, okay, I can't believe you say that in church. Remember the way we started. Paul said false teaching, it's not just something from without. The haunting thought is this can happen inside the church. And if I'm talking to anybody who has positioned yourself as a mocker, here'd be my advice to you today. Get down on your knees and repent of that action right here, right now, while you have the opportunity to do so. Now, now where does all this lead? Well, it leads to good news, thank the Lord. There's some positivity to all of this. I'm glad it's here. If it wasn't, we wouldn't add it in, but it is here. Understand why Christ has not yet returned. See, one of the many problems with false teaching is that it could cause you to miss marvelous truth about the character of our God. And this is one of the best examples of that principle of anywhere in the Bible that I know of. Why hadn't Christ yet returned in so many years? Peter talks about the uniqueness of the Lord's perspective Don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Isn't that the kind of guy you want? You don't want a God who's just getting started, do you? You don't want a God who has peach fuzz on his face. You don't want a God who's wet behind the ears. You want, and more importantly, you need a God who's eternal and whose perspective on time is entirely different than yours. And what does that reveal about him? It reveals the beauty of the Lord's compassion. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Show me wax on, wax off. And the point here is what false teachers mock, it actually demonstrates the patience of our God. Toward who? Look at the passage. The patience of our God toward who? Toward you. 
See, you may not be growing at the rate that God wants you to grow in all the areas you should. Anybody want to stand in that line? I'll go first. And therefore, you're not the best and the most consistent witness of the gospel for everybody in your life. Aren't you glad for the Lord's, what, patience? You may have a friend or a loved one who's not yet come to Christ. Aren't you glad for the Lord's patience? And the point is, false teaching can rob us of opportunities to rejoice in aspects of God's wonderful character and attributes Our God, He's not yet returned. He's not. He's patient with all of mankind, including us. You know, sometimes that even comes out in the mundane details of life. Last week I was in Los Angeles for some board meetings and then for a counseling conference. So I was gone for a total of eight days. So whenever I'm in that situation, I'll use the the off-site parking at the airport. It's cheaper. See, you've probably done that. You drive to the off-site place, you park under one of their awnings, you get picked up in that little bus, and they give you a ticket as a reminder of the exact spot where you parked, and they take you to the airport. Well, I have developed a habit over the years that as soon as I get on that bus, I open up my briefcase, and I take my keys, and I take that ticket, and I, put, I have a special pocket, that's where my passports are, and it all goes in, in that spot. I do that as soon as I, I get on that bus. So, so I did that. Then I went off to L.A. for eight days, and then I flew back to Indianapolis. So it's right around supper time. So I decided to to grab a sandwich at the airport. So now I'm sitting in that big common area at the airport. I'm just eating a sandwich. And so I decide to to reach into my briefcase then and get my keys and get my ticket so, so I'm ready to go. Now, the challenge was, in part, I was wearing some sweatpants that didn't have any pockets. When I go on a long flight like that, I like to dress comfortably. So I'm wearing these sweatpants. I didn't have any pockets. So when I get up to leave, I've got my my briefcase over my shoulder. I'm pulling my suitcase with one hand and then my left hand, do the inventory. I've got my wallet, my phone, my glasses, my keys, and my parking ticket. Five things. All all good. So I get down there to, to where you catch the bus. And, and you just get right on. You don't have to wait very long. The line was unusually long. So I had to wait for several buses to go through and get all the people in line before me. So now I finally get on the bus, which is totally full. And, and, and there's four young ladies who appear to be returning from some kind of exotic location. So they're all suntan and all, all that kind of stuff. And the driver asked them for their ticket, and, and they couldn't find it. They kind of remembered where they had parked, but they, they didn't have their ticket. So surprisingly, the driver said, well, okay, we'll go see if we can find it. So we got to the spot, and sure enough, that is where they had parked. And then another one of them yells out, I can't find my car keys, she says. And so all the rest of us on the bus, the adults, we, uh, we kind of responded with these eye rolls to one another, like, how much alcohol did they consume on the flight? That, that, that sort of thing. Now, now, please remind me, pride goes before what? Yeah, because it was at that moment that I looked at my left hand. And the good news is I had my phone. I had my wallet. I had my glasses. I had already given the driver my ticket. You know the bad news? No keys. 
So, so now I'm in a bit of a panic. So I just casually looked around because I didn't want anybody else to think that I was irresponsible as those four girls. I didn't want that to happen. But, but the driver here had my ticket. So he eventually gets to the Jeep. And I'm supposed to get up, right? There's no way I've got my keys. So I had to yell out in front of everybody else that was there, hey, can you take me back to the airport? Because I apparently lost my keys. Now, of course, the rest of the riders are giving me suggestions. Are they in your pockets, somebody says? So I had to admit, well, I don't have any pockets with me. And then, uh, of course, somebody has to say it, right? Do do you remember where you had them last? (laughs) If I could remember that right now, I wouldn't be in this predicament. So, So the driver lets everybody else off. Then he has to pick up a new batch of riders that are going back to the airport, and we set off for the airport again. And so I'm trying to think, where where could I have left those things? Here's my working theory. I I must have, when I was eating that sandwich and getting all the trash gathered up, I must have inadvertently wrapped my keys up in the trash. And that gave me a bit of pause because I did remember that when I put that trash, I didn't just put it in a trash can. I put it into one of those trash compactors at the airport. You know those things? And so I'm thinking, what's going to happen when I reach my arm down into that trash compactor to find my, that ain't, that's not going to be good. So, so anyway, I, I just went up to that information booth, you know, right there in the center up at the top of the escalator, and I asked the woman, I said, hey, ma'am, has anybody turned in any keys? It probably lasts 30 minutes to an hour. Has anybody turned in any keys? So, so she smiles at me, and she holds up my keys like this, but, but they're out of my reach on purpose. And she says, would you like to know where you lost them? To which I said, well, not if it's going to make me feel any more foolish than I do right now. (laughs) Which I was saying no to that, but but she wasn't taking no. So she had to say loud enough for everybody in the area to hear, well, they were on the bottom of the escalator. So a guy was coming around to come up the escalator, the up escalator. And he happened to look down, and on the bottom stair of the down escalator, there's my keys. You know how that one stair just going like this? There's my keys right down there at, at the bottom. He's kind of bouncing around like this. And so the guy picked them up and um, brought them back up to that information booth. And so I said, she finally gave them to me. And I said, wow, the, the Lord was good to me. To which she said, the Lord was good to let you get up this morning. And I was not entirely sure what she meant by that, but I, I just was done with that. Now, here's what I'm trying to make a point here. I'm trying to make a point. And don't take other points other than the one I'm making away from the story. Isn't it amazing how often God just looks after us when we're careless, when we're foolish, and let's face it, when we're a whole lot of other bad things we shouldn't have been? And, and why is that? Why is that? It's because he's patient. See, the, the false teachers, wh- where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And Peter says, no, the Lord's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's He's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
Let's never allow false teaching to rob us of the opportunities to marvel and rejoice at the character of our God. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, we do thank you for this passage of Scripture and for this book. And Lord, it has been heavy. There's no doubt about that. But Father, in this war-torn world, we're reminded um, we don't need we don't need bubblegum and lollipops. We need the meat of your word, and sometimes it's hard. But, Father, I pray that we would allow these direct truths to, to help us guard our hearts and our minds from mockers or worse, from ever mocking. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be people who are, who are looking at the sky. We're expecting the Lord's return. We're living in light of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, regardless of what some might say. But Lord, every day that doesn't happen yet, I pray that we would rejoice in your patience. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.